Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. If someone wants to be a part of the country music scene, they go to Nashville. And in the late 80s, two guys named Sammy Sadler and Kevin Hughes did just that. Sammy sang and played guitar. Kevin wasn't a musician, but he worked for a music industry magazine called Cashbox, interpreting popularity numbers and developing the ratings charts. On March 9, 1989, the two friends visited Music Row, the main strip for recording studios in Nashville. The two men spent some time at Evergreen Records, then headed home. But they never made it. On their way home, four gunshots rang out. One man was injured, and the other was murdered. From A&E, this is Cold Case Files. The police were called a little after 10.30 p.m. after the surviving victim, Sammy Sadler, stumbled into a nearby apartment to call for help. Sergeant William Dyer was one of the first responders. There was a, um, a male white laying in the middle of the roadway, face down, um, obviously shot. Kevin Hughes was pronounced dead at the scene. The area around where the men had been shot was taped off to prevent the onlookers who had started to gather. Some of the potential witnesses had fairly recognizable names. Here's Sergeant Dyer again. Johnny Cash was out on the uh, sidewalk, and um, Waylon Jennings was there. Um, I believe Willie Nelson and Chris Christopherson were also there. No one in the crowd of celebrities had witnessed the shooting or the shooter, so the investigators moved on to the crime scene itself. They found a 38 caliber bullet and decided they needed more information from the surviving man, Sammy Sadler, their first-hand witness. The morning after the shooting, Detective Bill Pridemore and Detective Pat Postiglione visited Sammy while he was recovering in the hospital. They asked him if he could explain what happened. This is Sammy Sadler. Kevin and I started walking across the street to get in his car, and as soon as I sat down in the car, I thought I saw something moving out of the corner of my eye, so I looked up, and, and this guy standing between me and the door, and all I could see was his arms out in front of me, and I noticed the gun. I said, oh my God, this guy's got a gun. Gunman's first target was Sammy, who only saw him coming the instant before he was shot. Here's Detective Postiglione. At that instant, he, he was able, and this probably saved his life, Sammy was able to lift his arm up and the bullet entered his elbow right here. The person that did the shooting probably thought he killed Sammy because Sammy slumped over this way. Kevin Hughes, upon seeing his friend shot, started to run. The man with the gun followed and shot Kevin in the back, and then twice more in the head the police became convinced that murder was the intended crime, not a lesser crime gone bad. Here's Detective Pridemore. We didn't know who the target was, whether it was Sammy, whether it was Kevin. We really didn't know in what direction to go in. The detectives decided to look into the personal lives of both men, hoping to find out who might want one or both of them dead. This is Detective Pridemore again. Even though we lived in Music City, we were kind of naive about how the country music business worked in this town. Sammy played the guitar and sang. 
There are two sides to every story. While Kevin worked for Cashbox magazine, his job was to track the amount of airtime a song had and develop ratings. Basically, he crunched the numbers that decided which singers made it onto the charts and which didn't. Kind of a human algorithm. It turned out, though, that his job wasn't as number-based as it sounded. People known as fly-by-night promoters would seek out new and naive musicians, asking them to record a demo tape and then promising they would make it big. Here's Detective Postiglione again. But these people, uh, you know, coming to Nashville just completely green, had no clue as to what was going on, hook up with somebody in the country music business and think for 10000 to 20000 I'm going to be a star. Then the promoters would pay the hitmakers to make that particular artist go up on the charts and believe they were getting closer and closer to their dreams. Then, when the singer was out of cash, the promoter would dump them and move on to their next victim. Here's Detective Postiglione. We were very disillusioned when we found out how corrupt it was and how much of it was going on, how rampant it was. Cashbox Magazine, Kevin's employer, was at the center of the scam. This is Wade Jensen. He was the director of the National Music Charts at Billboard Magazine until 2015. Make no mistake, in its heyday, Cashbox Magazine was a very influential, respected trade publication. But 10 to 15 years ago, uh, it was pretty much common knowledge in the music business that, uh, that the magazine and its charts, more specifically, were for sale. The detective speculated that Kevin might have threatened to expose the cashbox scam and made the wrong people angry. Here's Detective Postiglione. Our theory is that is the reason right there is why they killed Kevin. Not because they, they, they could have fired him and just got rid of him, but because even if they did fire him, it was real possible that Kevin was going to go to the authorities anyway. The detectives had a theory, but no facts. So they went back to Music Row to see if they could uncover any evidence. Here's Detective Pridemore again. We sat there many nights, in the car, rain, outside on the wall, watching people, talking people. We'd, we'd see somebody walking down the street, and we'd, we'd go over and talk to them, ask if we could check them out. The detectives met two promoters with connections to Cashbox, Chuck Dixon and Richard D'Antonio. D'Antonio worked in conjunction with uh, Chuck Dixon. They worked together doing the same type of business into the same type of uh, corruption. Dixon and D'Antonio were both suspected of paying cash box to bump their clients up in the charts. And if Kevin blew the whistle on them, they would have lost a lot of money. But after following their theory for a year, the detectives couldn't find any hard evidence linking either man, or anyone for that matter, to the crime. So the case went cold. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to find qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash coldcase. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash coldcase. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash coldcase, C-O-L-D-C-A-S-E. 
ZipRecruiter.com slash cold case. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. This music was written by Steve Daniel and Richard D'Antonio. Riding on the road of life, you know it's been one hell of a drive. Winding roads, uphill climbs, one-way streets and detour signs. In the year 1993, the two men tried to sell their music in Nashville. This is Steve Daniel. He was saying, I'm going to get something done with these songs. These are good, you know. So... I was saying songs. Like lots of people who hope to become the next country music superstar, Steve's music career didn't seem to be taking off. So, he decided to try his luck in a different occupation, selling drugs. He was investigated by the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, known as the GBI. This is Special Agent Del Thomason. Steve was not, to me, the, the professional drug person. I think Steve was probably trying to do it to make some money. Uh, and he had gotten himself involved in something I really believe was getting pretty much over his head. In September of 1992, Special Agent Del Thomason showed up at Steve Daniels' house with a warrant. He had enough evidence to do a search for drugs. Here's Agent Del Thomason again. Inside the building, there was approximately five 55-gallon drums with 273 pounds of marijuana inside those drums. And from there, uh, where we were conducting a drug investigation, just a few feet away, it became a murder investigation. The transition from drug raid to murder investigation started when Steve told the agent that on the same day that Kevin Hughes was murdered and Sammy Sadler was shot, he had sold a 38 caliber revolver. The man he had sold it to was Richard D'Antonio, the promoter. This is Steve Daniel. And so I sold it to him for $150. It was a Smith & Wesson. I don't remember what model. And um, I didn't have any bullets, so I went out and bought some bullets, the cheapest ones I could find, came back, and he shot it in the backyard uh, several times. The information that was provided about the gun by Steve Daniel sounded convincing to Special Agent Del Thomason. So he contacted Nashville Homicide, who finally had a lead into the murder on Music Row. D'Antonio will say that they were friends, but in reality, numerous other people tell us that uh, Kevin didn't particularly uh, care for Tony. As a matter of fact, he was afraid of him. That was Detective Postiglione with a new lead on the murder of Kevin Hughes. Richard D'Antonio had been a suspect, but prior to Steve Daniels' statement, there was no way to link him to the evidence. Here's Detective Postiglione again. We immediately went down and spoke with Steve and this agent, and uh, we determined, based on the information he had, that D'Antonio was on man. The detectives convinced Steve Daniel to make a recorded call to Richard D'Antonio. He said, well, there's a possibility that two detectives may come down and see you. If they do, just tell them that I was with you. I don't really remember it, okay? So, so, you know, what do you want me to say or whatever? Not getting the confession they were hoping for, the detectives weren't able to arrest Richard D'Antonio. This is District Attorney Tom Thurman. We were all pretty much convinced that Richard D'Antonio was a trigger man, but he was still a very uh, 
weak circumstantial case. We could put a 38 in his hand, but we couldn't put the murder weapon in his hand. The case, once again, went cold. Special Agent Del Thomason had moved on since his tip about the murder on Music Row. But in the year 2002, he got a call from the Nashville Cold Case Squad. Here's Special Agent Del Thomason. We had stayed in touch with him several times over the years. And then there was a period of time that we didn't hear from anyone uh, any longer, so I didn't know what the status was of the investigation. And then eventually I, I heard from Bill Pridemore again. Detectives Pridemore and Postiglione, now cold case detectives, had been working the murder of Kevin Hughes since the beginning. They had a new idea and they wanted to run it by the GBI. Steve Daniel had reported that Richard D'Antonio had test-fired the gun that was sold to him in Daniel's backyard. Even though it was a long shot, the detectives thought if they could find the bullets from the gun, they might be able to make a forensic link to the ones recovered from the victim. Everyone agreed it was worth a try, so they visited the scene with a crime scene technician. This is the area where myself and the crime scene technician began to use a metal detector. We started down at the bottom and began to find bullets down in this area, all the way up to the top of this bank here. That was Special Agent Del Thomason, who with assistance pulled 13 slugs out of Steve Daniels' former backyard. The bullets were sent to the lab to be compared with the ones recovered from Kevin Hughes' body. Here's Detective Pridemore. They found that out of the 13, one one did match and was, uh, without a doubt, fired through the same handgun. The marks on one of the bullets found in the yard were an exact match for the ones found in the victim. It seemed that after 13 years, the detectives were able to place the murder weapon in the hands of their main suspect, Richard D'Antonio. With evidence of the murder weapon now available to them, they needed to determine the motive. Richard D'Antonio had moved to Las Vegas and worked in a casino for a while. But when detectives caught up to him, he was out of work and living in the shadows. The Nevada police picked him up, and D'Antonio just shrugged when police told him that they believed he shot and killed Kevin Hughes. Here's one of the detectives who was present at the interview. I think that tells the story without saying a word. The fact that he doesn't deny anything or ask any questions, he's not outraged that he's being charged. Richard D'Antonio was returned to Nashville, where District Attorney Tom Thurman was tasked with proving his guilt. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Saving money on your car insurance is easy with Progressive. It's an average savings of $699 a year for customers who switch and save. In fact, customers can qualify for an average of six discounts on their auto policy when they switch to Progressive. Discounts for just starting a quote online or owning multiple vehicles. Get your quote online at Progressive.com and see how much you could be saving. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Tom Thurman wanted to show how the shady promoters worked bribing the chart creators and taking the money of singers looking for success, and then crushing their dreams. If the scam was uncovered, it could show motive for Richard D'Antonio to have murdered Kevin Hughes. Here's Tom Thurman. And again, you know, we're not dealing with major labels and major artists. We're dealing with independent people, people that get off the bus every day in Nashville with their dreams and their life savings sometimes, and there's plenty of people out there ready to take their money. 
the DA's office ran an undercover operation. Basically, we sent an undercover agent in from our office, a female investigator who, let's just say, was not a very talented singer. They filmed the, the session and everything else and paid so much money and, and you know, well, miracle, miracle, she got on the charts and uh, was moving up with a bullet. Hey, sweetie, can I ask you something? Will you give me that kind of laid back, kind of sloppy approach to the, to the, you know, like you did on that last song? It's kind of like a person who's had about one drink and it sounds really good. I'm just trying to tell you that approach is working real well. I'm not a music expert, but even I can tell that the promoter was paying for the undercover agent to be moved up on the charts. Here's D.A. Thurman again. That's what this was. It was really a tragedy for a lot of people. It, a lot of people's dreams uh, were shattered by this type of thing. Their money was taken, and they really didn't get an opportunity at all. In 2003, Tom Thurman got his chance to bring the scam to light when Richard D'Antonio was put on trial for Kevin Hughes' murder. He called rival promoters to the stand so they could explain how the scam worked. Here's some audio from the trial. What did you discover about the independent charts for Cashbox Magazine? Well, we found out that they didn't mean anything. And if, 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 I mean, I basically, we didn't have to call radio. If I went in charge position, all I had to do was get a $750 quarter page ad and call Chuck Dixon, you know, and, and get him on the record as well. He had to be on the record. You know, he got paid as a promoter, and Cashbox got paid the $750 ad, and, we made the charge. The jury made the connection between the scam and the murders, and Richard D'Antonio was found guilty of murder in the first degree and sentenced to life in prison. When he was serving time in the Turney Central Industrial Prison, he made this statement. Am I mad? You're darn right I'm mad. I'm arrested, taken away from my family for something that I didn't do, and I'm serving a life sentence? That is BS to the max. It is BS. D'Antonio went on to say that Kevin Hughes was killed by a jealous husband who had mistaken Hughes for the man who was having an affair with his wife. He was simply in the wrong place at the wrong time. He doesn't have any evidence to support that claim, though. D'Antonio does point out that only one of the bullets found matched his gun. If we would have test-fired a gun, they would have found more than one bullet or one piece of a bullet if we would have test-fired this alleged weapon that he said that I had. I mean, that's common sense. You don't have to be a rocket science. As Bill Curtis once said, D'Antonio then opted for the OJ defense. The police must have planted it, specifically Detective Pridemore. He thinks that he has them, but this is going to turn around on him. It's going to, what goes around comes around. It's going to turn around on him. I believe he went down and planted this bullet in Georgia, if indeed they did find a bullet down there. Detective Pridemore doesn't believe anything D'Antonio says, though. That's Tony, see? You know, he's a player. He's leading you on, leading you to believe there's something more, and he's willing to tell you that. Detective Postiglione also shares his opinion about Richard D'Antonio. To do something like this to someone like Kevin, I mean, just tells us that that person probably doesn't have a conscience, has no ability to understand what they've done. So trying to ask him why he did it and trying to get him to express remorse would just probably be a waste of time. Richard D'Antonio doesn't confess and continues to maintain his innocence. No, no, I'm not a choir boy by no means, no. But I'm not a murderer either. 
I know in my heart that I'm innocent. God knows that I'm innocent. And he's the one that's going to save me. He's smarter than Thurman. He's smarter than Pridemore. He's smarter than Postiglione. He's smarter than them all. And I'm going to be exonerated from this. Cold Case Files, the podcast, is hosted by Brooke Giddings. Produced by McKamey Lynn and Steve Delamater. Our executive producer is Ted Butler. Our music was created by Blake Maples. This podcast is distributed by Podcast One. The Cold Case Files TV series was produced by Curtis Productions and is hosted by Bill Curtis. Check out more Cold Case Files at AETV.com or learn more about cases like this one by visiting the A&E Real Crime blog at AETV.com slash realcrime.